Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. And one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. All right, good afternoon, everyone. It is so good to be with you. I'm glad that I'm doing this shift in uh, October still, so it's nice and cool, and uh, not up here in the dead of summer. As I've heard, it's quite unpleasant. Uh, But yeah, it's just wonderful to be with you all this evening and this this afternoon. Uh, As Alex said, I'm from New Life Rabina, but I also pastor our Catalyst community, uh, which is amazing. I believe there's some Catalyst people here Where are you? Oh, there we go. (laughs) That was going to be awkward. Um, Catalyst people are our key culture carriers in our church, our future leaders, and um, they'll be getting a talking to after. No, Uh, it's, it's such a beautiful year of discipleship that we have with people across our church locations of New Life, uh, where we take a cohort of people and we uh, walk together in the ways of Jesus. And it's coming to an end, actually. We have our final retreat next week. Um, and so there's been some phenomenal people from New Life Brisbane taking that journey. And I'm sure 
well, I hope by the end of next week, they're really sad that it's over. Um, but yes, we want to encourage you that we've actually got an information session coming up in a few weeks' time uh, on the 19th of November after our 4pm service up here. So we'd love to see you there if you've got some questions about it um, or just if you've been part of Catalyst and you want to bring someone, I'd encourage you to do that also. One of the other hats that I get to wear is I lead our New Life uh, Rabina Young Adults community. And it's funny, I, I can probably assimilate or um, can, can understand what it feels like for teachers or doctors or, you know, when you've got your students or your clients, or in my case, our community, and you bump into them, what I would call out in the wild. You know, you might be out to dinner and um, this often happens to me out in Burley or whatever, and I'm having dinner with my friends and I look over to another table and there's a whole group of like new life young adults and... I normally go over and I say hi and, you know, you suss out what's everyone doing and all that jazz. But then it's a different story when I see two young adults out to dinner alone together. And I kind of am like, okay, interesting. It actually happened a few weeks ago and I couldn't say it when I was preaching a few weeks ago as well. But there was this, like, two people that I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is a bit scandalous. And so I quickly ducked past and made sure they didn't see me. But uh, I would say that there's some very serious things that happen over dinner. Um, I think that there's times when you celebrate great life events. I think that there's times where you have those difficult conversations with people. I think there's times where you're bonding together in community and just enjoying life. And I think there's times when you go out to dinner purely because you can't be bothered to cook and there's nothing in the fridge. But everything in the spectrum of that is that relationships happen over dinner. And this whole series that we're in at the moment where we're having dinner with Jesus is for us to deepen our relationship with him where we can experience proximity to him. We can see what he is really like. We can see who he mixes with and more of his character. And uh, my hope is that in each of these weeks, we get to be kind of like a fly on the wall at some of these experiences. And we get to zoom in to who Jesus really is and just gaze upon him. And so tonight, uh, Lara, you read our scripture so beautifully. We find ourselves at the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And he has invited Jesus into his house to have dinner with all these other Pharisees. Um, and there's a few things that we're going to move through. Uh, it's quite a long piece of scripture. But this scripture just caught my attention this week as I uh, pondered it and, and really read it and reread it. Because there is, there's so much that's quite stunning in it. There's so much that should actually shock us. And I find that the divide between our society here in Brisbane versus the Middle Eastern culture that it was written for, it's quite a big gap and we miss a lot of the massive cultural intentions and implications that are written in these pages. And so uh, this afternoon, we're really just going to slow down and go through this scripture and sense out what, what is it saying? What is Jesus really doing uh, in this scripture? Why is it so profoundly known and referred to throughout all of the gospels and, and since then? Why is this something that has become quite famous in the Christian story? And uh, I have just been amazed and blown away at Jesus's character. And I hope that as we spend time at dinner with him tonight, uh, that you adore him more and that you sense the kind of Lord and person that he 
is and was, and that that draws us into him. So we're going to look at four things as we walk through the story. We're first going to look at the motive. There's a motive of the woman and there's a motive of the Pharisee. We're going to look at the famous act that the woman does in, uh, in her weeping and, and the perfume. Uh, we're going to look at the responses that happen to this act and then a sense of a challenge for us. So I want to start first with the motive. We kick off and it says in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So we, we get a bit of the scene here. There's two small verses. And within those two small verses, a lot has actually happened. We can just sense that, okay, Jesus has been asked to dinner. Great, he's gone. And there's a girl there who's got a nice bottle of perfume. Um, but what we see in the scene is actually quite extraordinary. This woman, we know that she is a sinful woman. Um, it says that she lived a sinful life. And most likely this is that she was actually a prostitute in the town. And it was a label that had put on her and it was something that everybody knew. And so I think the first question that we would ask is how is a woman who is classified a sinful woman feeling bold enough and courageous enough to turn up to the house of a Pharisee, the religious elite? Why, when Jesus was invited there and she was very much not invited, would she feel confident to come? I don't know about you, but I would not want to set foot in that house if I felt like there was going to be even an inch of judgment. And this woman, knowing that those men despise her life and her lifestyle, she comes anyway. So why would she do that? Why put herself through the ridicule? We have to assume and look at the motive that she has and that she actually walked in there knowing that Jesus was going to be there and Jesus had a reputation. Jesus had a reputation of someone who receives sinners, who eats with them. We see it in Luke 15. He's someone who doesn't repel them like the other Pharisees or maybe other rabbis, but he welcomes them in. And so she is going to this dinner knowing that Jesus is there and she's gambling it all, knowing that she will be received by him because apparently he has grace for sinners. There's a Middle Eastern scholar, his name is Abid al-Tabib or something like that. Um, you don't know either, so it's fine. <laughs> and he defines his, uh, her motive. He wrote these beautiful passages and, and commentaries in the 11th century. And he said, there is no doubt that the woman previously heard the preaching of the Christ and was deeply moved by it and believed and repented and was anticipating a chance to make visible her thanks to the Christ and to con confirm forgiveness for her sin and the salvation of herself. She was deeply moved and she believed and she repented. From that place, then she longed and was desperate to make that visible. She couldn't help herself. So she turns up uninvited purely because she knows that this is the, the savior for her. And she owes all her thanks, all her uh, outpouring of gratitude to him. And so God is here in the flesh through Jesus. And the message is clear is that he welcomes the sinner. 
that is so counter to every other religious experience that she had received. Her motive was that she was in desperate desire to come to the one who had given her a sense of forgiveness, a sense of freedom, a sense of acceptance. The, the custom of the time was that a sinner should have to uh, go to the temple and maybe repent there and they need to confess their sins and then declare that they will no longer walk down that path of sinful nature, which was pretty impossible for her kind of construct of her life as a prostitute. There was no way for her to be made right in the way of the law. And so for her coming into this space, it meant that the grace of God was on display for her and it was available for her in a way that had never been made way before. This is quite revolutionary. And for us, we can take it for granted to think that, of course, we can come into a space like this or even just in our homes and confess to the Lord and have him come and bring us freedom. But that had not been modeled to her at all. She is showing us a whole new way of how to relate to Jesus. So she, even though she was not welcomed, she came feeling very free in and of herself. However, even though she was not very invited uh, to the dinner, there was a sense of motive and agenda behind the invitation that the Pharisees gave also. See, why would Simon be inviting Jesus into his home with all the other Pharisees? Jesus was going around and making these big accusations about who he was and he was acclaiming to be the son of God and that he was forgiving sins and welcoming sinners and he was saying that he was a prophet and all this had got to all the other Pharisees and they were concerned about what he was saying. And so as a young rabbi, the older rabbis, the older Pharisees got around and said, hey, let's have him to dinner because we need to kind of course correct him. We need to show him the ropes. We need to tell him what he's doing is not the right way. And we need to stop this ministry in his tracks before he gets out and it goes too far. And so this dinner invitation came with a motive of agenda to want to stop Jesus doing what he was doing. And so Simon invites him over, but it says that he was invited to, uh, to dinner and then he reclined at the table. It's not that Like to us, that sounds normal, right? You get invited to dinner, so obviously you sit down at the table. But what is omitted from this text is quite extraordinary. See, in a Middle Eastern culture, uh, hospitality was not done at a casual level. Hospitality was how they welcomed people in, and especially a rabbi, someone with such profile as Jesus was becoming to get. It is outrageous that they would ignore all the customs of the time. See, the customs of the time, someone walks into their house and they greet them with a kiss. When they then welcome them in, they wash their feet and they anoint uh, their hands and their head with uh, with olive oil, which every household had at that time. And then once that has done, then they welcome them in uh, to the lounge room where there's this U-shaped table and, and like a couch almost. And so then they all sit in order of age, the eldest sitting first at the table. They then recline at the table before the meal is served. Why is this important? Because none of this was done for Jesus. 
Our equivalent would be like, you invite someone over, I'm going to invite Lucy over to my house, I welcome her at the door, depending on what my relationship with Lucy is, I might give her a kiss or a hug, or if I don't know her yet, I might shake her hand, I'd welcome her in, she'd probably say, is it like shoes or no shoes kind of house, I'd say, it's a shoes kind of house, come on in, I would take her to the table or to the couches, and I'd say, take a seat, make yourself comfortable, Uh, can I get you a glass of water, what do you feel like, do you want a cup of tea, you know, They're our very casual kind of customs around hospitality. There is not one person in that room at this dinner at the Pharisee's house who would not have been absolutely aware of the admission of these common courtesies. It was so rude. And so Simon has welcomed Jesus in, but not really. And every single other person is thinking, oh, what's what's going on here? The motive and the agenda of these Pharisees had were to come in here and and give him a little clip of the ears. There was no sense of warm dinner hospitality happening here. And it was so humiliating for Jesus to turn up there. He then just takes, he goes right ahead and he reclines at the table. He was 30 years old, very, very rarely going to be the oldest person in the room but he declares that I'm going to take what would we what we would call the head of the table and so even though he could have caused a scene right then and there he doesn't he just sits down claims his authority at this table can you imagine the tension in the room Simon is treating Jesus with absolute disgust, public humiliation in front of everybody. And it's in that place that then we read this famous act of what happens with the woman. It says in verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. So we know that this woman arrived with this jar of perfume, but she's coming with this jar of perfume to anoint his hands, maybe his head, with this beautiful fragrance. It was not her intent to come into a place and expect none of these customs to have happened. And so what she does then is out of a place of absolute compassion for her king. She is there, she is not weeping because she is trying to earn forgiveness. She is not there weeping because she is ashamed of herself. She is weeping for the pain and the humiliation that she has just observed with Jesus in that space. She cannot believe that people would treat him like this. And so what she does is she is weeping for him and she says, well, if no one else is going to do these customs, if no one else is actually going to treat this guest with dignity, I will. And so she begins to cry and she wets his feet with her tears. She pours her oil on them too, this perfume. And if anyone didn't notice that she was in the room, which was highly unlikely, they definitely notice now. Can you imagine the fragrance that fills the air? And so she is there and she is looking around and she's, she's wetting and anointing his feet. And she's thinking, I don't have, have a cloth because I didn't come prepared for this because of course this would never normally happen. 
And so in this moment, she's already done things that are absolutely outrageous. And she thinks, well, I may as well go the full mile. And she lets down her hair to then wipe his feet. This, again, is one of those cultural moments that we probably don't appreciate the brevity of it. Letting down your hair in that culture, and think, think about even Middle Eastern culture today. There's a sense of sacredness and, and hiddenness and sexuality behind a woman's hair. And in that time, it was actually one of the few things that you could just legally and religiously divorce your wife if she let her hair out in public. It was in the list of if you also bathed with other men. It was on the same part of that. And not only was this a divorce uh, in a marital sense, it was also a divorce where you didn't have to give any financial settlement. It was that crazy that this woman unleashed her hair in public. It was also one of the markers that a woman would do on her wedding night before her new husband is she would let her hair down for maybe the first time for this man to see. And so in the presence of these Pharisees, she is willing to do such an act of devotion, to do such an outrageous, just a pouring out of her loyalty to him. And everyone there would have been completely stunned. She let out her hair and she wiped his feet with her hair. Ambrose uh, is a commentator on this scripture and he said, only someone who had been forgiven much and therefore loved much could anoint Jesus' feet as the sinful woman did. This was so incredibly beautiful, but also so incredibly outrageous. Verse 39, when the Pharisees who had seen him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This is crucial because Simon is testing whether Jesus is who he says he is. He's saying, oh, actually, if you, you declare that you're a prophet, obviously you're not really a prophet, otherwise you would understand what's happening here. And this test is saying, is he worthy of respect or not? Because no, surely no man of God would ever personally accept such outrageous and inappropriate behavior. But how does Jesus respond? His response says so much. And he affirms this woman even before he has said anything by allowing her to draw near, by allowing her to touch him, allowing her to be there present and to pour out her devotion and her love to him. He affirms her. He emphasizes uh, that this cost and the nature of this gesture is worthy of, of him accepting it. And he doesn't publicly humiliate her. He notices that she's actually the only one in the room who feels the pain of his rejection. She enters into his suffering and she is moved with compassion. These are the kind of character traits that we see in Jesus, that he is the one moved with compassion, that he is the one who feels people's pain. And here she is, this sinful woman who is acting in the very nature that Jesus so often we see himself demonstrating uh, his love in the Gospels. 
she sensed that the glory of God and the manifest presence of God was on this man. And it was him, therefore, that she offered her thanks and her praise. Where normally that was done in a temple, she is now recognizing that the temple is not the place that holds the manifest presence of God. It is now Jesus. She is responding to that. She's picking up on those things and she's acting on it. Kenneth Bailey, he says, Jesus accepted the woman's extraordinary demonstration and in that acceptance confirmed her judgment regarding who he was, the divine presence of God among his people. His body was now the temple and God's spirit was upon him. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So randomly, there's a little bit of a parable in this. um, And I kind of see this as a major schooling for Simon. This, this uh, sentence, Simon, I have something to tell you, is like Jesus putting on his teacher voice. It's like, okay, Simon, like we're on. I've got something to tell you. Like, let me put this straight. You need to listen up. And there's this sense of authority that swells in Jesus because, you know, he's defensive for, his, for this woman and he is willing to uh, put that kind of authority and and put it straight with Jesus, uh, with Simon through this parable. And so this parable, it seems a bit strange. Why, why is Jesus bringing this in now? And I love that Jesus often told stories so that we'd be able to see ourselves in the story. And so rather than Jesus saying, Simon, you're being an idiot, he's saying, Simon, where are you in this story? Work it out for yourself. So he says, okay, we have a parable here and it talks about a money lender. And that kind of term money lender um, is something that throughout the stories and the gospels uh, and the parables is often referred to as God, the one who holds the authority, the one in which we have something that uh, is, is due to him. And so that, that's kind of across the board, that is something that is known. And the debtors represent the, the condition of the fallen uh, heart of humankind in that sense that if God is here, uh, as, as the one that we have something to owe, then we are the ones that are in debt to such an amazing God. And so God uh, in this parable forgives both of the people. That's the interesting part. He says perhaps two people uh, owe money, one 500 and one 50. What's happening here is Jesus is sneakily saying to Simon, you're not off Scotch guard free here. Like you're not one who isn't also owing something. Even though you see things as there's the law followers and then uh, the law abiders and the sinners, even though you see a divide, you both to me are in debt. And so Jesus is saying to Simon, I need you to see yourself in this story and see that you're not the one to judge just the sinner. You too are also a sinner. And so 
in this story, is Jesus actually forgiving Simon for his rudeness? Is, is Jesus offering an extension to say, you have actually sinned against me in how you have been treating me, but I am here to also offer you forgiveness. It says uh, that, that the money lender forgave the debts of both. And Simon has this opportunity now to recognize that he also is in need of forgiving. He also is the one who uh, has a gap and is falling short. And neither of them can pay it back. Can you imagine how humiliating a little bit for Simon this would have been? Or everyone's listening in. Remember, the teacher voice is on. And everyone is going like, ooh, is he saying that, that Simon the Pharisee is the same as the sinful woman? Is he saying that both of these people are needing to offer their forgiveness and their sense of gratitude to the money lender? And he, uh, in this, starts to shift this motive of the money lender being God to then the money lender being Jesus. And so there's this transfer of authority that happens just in this parable. And even though it's kind of hard for us to see that, the audience and the room and the table, the dinner table would all have noticed that. And so there's this real shift. I'd like to draw our attention to this shift that happens at this point. Simon wants to focus on the fact that look at the great sins of this woman's sinner. He is wanting to point the finger. He is wanting to say what she has done is inappropriate. She wants to humiliate her. He wants to humiliate her. But in contrast, Jesus shifts the attention to look at the response of this woman who has accepted freely what has been given. And that's a really important shift here that happens through this parable is to say, you want to shine judgment, I want to show the model. Hugely confronting. And I think that this parable would have hit a massive nerve for Simon. Um, and Jesus is only just getting started. Then he really takes Simon to town and just lays it on thick in verse 44. He says, he then turned towards the woman. So imagine him turning towards the woman, but talking at Simon. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with my hair. You did not give me a kiss, but the woman from the time I have entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The contrast again. Simon, you're the one who's got this wrong. Simon, look at what she has done. Look at this, this gratitude. Remember her motive. She has been the one who has come in and who has given thanks and, and walked in that free forgiveness. But you, you've done none of this. So don't point the finger at her. I need you to look at you as well. And Jesus is doing this in front of everyone. I love the nerve. 
He's publicly saying this and he's reversing that sense of humiliation where everyone wanted to scoff at this woman. Now Jesus is picking up and defending her. Now he is the one who is saying, do not, you, don't you dare humiliate what this woman is doing because this is who I want you to become. Don't you dare point judgment. And so to finish in verse 48, Jesus says to her, it's like he's broken every single rule up until this point. He's let the woman touch her, him, sorry. He's let her take out her hair. He's let her put this expensive oil. But the one thing that he hasn't done up until this point, the only saving grace is at least he hasn't spoken to her because no rabbi is allowed to speak to a woman in public. But now he breaks that too, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. So not only has he just said something to her in the presence of all the other Pharisees, he's also declared that he can somehow forgive sins. This is, this is so outrageous. He's really making a point. And so Simon and the Pharisees refuse to follow Jesus' lead though. They are so stubborn in their ways because they say, to themselves, who is he that he even forgives sins? Who does he think he is? They haven't got it, have they? In, in this outrageous event, in this beautiful demonstration of love and forgiveness, they're still not getting it. They're here to say, well, who does he think he is now forgiving sins? And I think it's so easy sometimes for us to completely miss the point. And these, these Pharisees here, they're not responding to this sense of grace. They're refusing to let their, their focus shift. They're so about their religious and cultural dynamics that they're not understanding who is in their midst, that Jesus is at the dinner table with them. And rather than coming with the agenda of teaching him the way, they need to allow him to teach them. They do not have that humility. Kenneth Bailey says, At the end of the day, Jesus made clear that both law keepers and law breakers are sinners and equally in need of forgiveness, a forgiveness that he freely offered to all. The woman accepted it. Simon's final response is unknown. Jesus' final words to this woman is to remind her that her faith and her obedience to him was a saving force in her life that would lead her to a path of peace. He is affirming her. He is loving her. He is esteeming her. He is defending her. He's accepting her. He is modeling to the religious people around, hey, this is actually how you do obedience. This is actually how you do worship. This is actually how you receive forgiveness. And what I love is that there's such a challenge in this as to what our response would be. And I wonder this afternoon which character in this story you resonate with. I wonder if you are like the woman who does not care about any of the social dynamics, doesn't care about the reputation, but is just so longing and so desperate 
to outpour her thanksgiving for the freedom and the grace that she has received in Christ. I wonder if you resonate with her where your devotion is overflowing, where it's outrageous, it's exuberant. Do you resonate with that woman who just needs to get at the feet of Jesus and weep and do whatever it takes? I wonder if you uh, resonate with Jesus in the sense of that wanting to defend people's beautiful acts of worship. I wonder if when you see someone's devotion to God, you uh, are just beautifully filled with that, that you look at it and you are proud of it, that you are uh, wanting to fan it into flame and encourage it. Or I wonder in those moments uh, when someone is just pouring out their devotion for God, if there's a bit of judgment that happens in your heart, if there's a sense of, oh, I don't think that's appropriate, or like you need to keep it together, or it's actually not supposed to look like that, or I'm not sure what you're doing is genuine. I wonder if there's a bit of judgment that creeps into our hearts quickly. I wonder if you resonate with Simon this afternoon and you're kind of intrigued by Jesus, but you're sussing him out a little bit. You're not sure yet. You're wondering if he is who he says he is. Uh, And you're wanting to get a little bit of proximity to him by coming into this environment, but you're still not sure. Maybe there's a bit of hardness still in your heart towards who Jesus might be. I wonder tonight if there's a, a sense of challenge in you to question your own devotion to Jesus. Would it look like that? Would you be that brave? Would you care for an audience of one in Jesus rather than everyone else around? And is our love for Jesus so worth the outpouring and so worth the consequence of what our work friends say, what our families say? what our uh, neighbourhoods or or classrooms or whatever your context is, have you felt like you've put a bit of a lid on it rather than being free to outwardly engage in that gratitude and desperate longing to be one with Jesus? This story draws us in to gaze upon Jesus as the one uh, who is so worth our love and our devotion, but who who is so safe in that the woman was was willing to engage in such an extreme level. He he gives freedom, he gives grace, and it is a real place of, of peace and of safety. I wonder for a moment if you'd just like to stand with me and let this sink in a little bit. As I read this scripture, I just had to let it sink in. It's so easy to read on the surface, but once we wrap our head around some of that cultural dynamic, it just becomes so much richer. I'm just gonna create a little moment for you to reflect, for you to sense with the Lord, what is this passage wanting to show you? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to reveal about your own heart at the moment? I'm just going to wait and sense if there's anything else.
that uh, we just might need to respond to this afternoon. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful encounter that you've shown us where you've esteemed this woman. You've given her a a place at the table. You have modelled that she freely received your grace. She didn't make excuses. She didn't discredit herself. But Lord, you made a way for her. Right now, God, through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and speak to us. and shine a light on whatever is going on in our heart, Lord. Bring your gentle conviction, our desire to confess and repent where we may have acted wrongly, Lord. So just get a sense that there might be some people here this afternoon and the words that I was getting is that you're tired of testing Jesus and that you recognise that you just need to go all in. You need to put to, to rest that sense of agenda and that sense of wrestle. And God just says, I, I, I feel that God is saying, it's time to just pop that down and to trust me. And so if that's anyone tonight, uh, that sense of stopping the testing, that you're ready actually just to go on a journey of faith with Jesus. If that's you, just want to pop your hand up because I'd love to pray with you to start this journey of faith in Jesus. If you're tired of testing, you've got Nothing left, really. Is that anyone tonight? All right, well, I'm just going to pray in case there's some people here who are feeling like that in your heart. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a safe place, Lord, that you are the one that we can put our trust in, that you can handle our questions, you can handle our wrestling, Lord but ultimately you just long to be in relationship with us. And so God, if there's anyone here this afternoon who you're really just calling in, you're drawing towards yourself, you're knocking on the door of their heart and they're wanting to open it to you this afternoon. Lord, I just pray that you will, through your spirit, engage with them in such a way that they know you are real, that you are with them that you long to be in relationship and that you ask them to follow you. So I thank you for that journey of discovery of faith, God, that you're beckoning people towards. 
then I also just sense that there might be a, a need for us to do a bit of um, confession with God just around where we've had a hardness of heart where that sense of, of Simon looking at this woman and not getting what she's doing or judging it or thinking that it is wrong. Um, there might be a different context for you, but there's a hardness of your heart that's happened and you just really want the soft hands of God to come and make it malleable again. And so maybe you sense in yourself that there's this judgmental spirit and it happens to all of us. There's absolutely no shame in that, but that you long for a softness of heart. You'd long for God to soften your heart again. If that's anyone here, just want to pop your hands up. I believe even just in recognising that that's you, there's a softness that already starts to take place. If you just want a soft heart again, is that anyone that I can be praying with? Awesome. Yeah. Anyone else just need the softening, the gentle spirit of God to come into their life? You hate those first thoughts where it's just judgment first and you'd really prefer it to be grace first. If that's anyone else, do you wanna pop your hands up? I'd love to pray with you. All right, you guys are a really grace-filled bunch. <laughs> I'm gonna pray anyway, because I reckon there are some people who are a bit judgmental. I'm included. Um, because, yeah, I think that it's a snare that the enemy can get us into real quick. So, Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is so gentle, that you, God, are full of grace. And, Lord, I thank you that you look upon people with love and compassion and understanding. Lord, that you don't look at the outward appearance, but you look at the heart. And so, God, I just pray as your people, will you help us to do the same? Will you help us to have a soft heart towards others? Will you help us not to be judgmental? not to be harsh, not to be critical, not to look for the worst, Lord, but I pray that we will have a grace response. Lord, that we will be people who see into the heart of people and see that they are children of God who you love dearly. And I pray that you will help us to quickly align our hearts with yours in those moments. Replace any judgment, any harshness with your grace, your love, your compassion, and I pray that that will be a, a way that we are marked as people who are like you. So come and soften hearts, Jesus. Come and bring your Holy Spirit to do that deep work of transformation that you do in our hearts. And I pray as we worship now, will you continue to minister to us, continue to draw us into your presence. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.